Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us for the Dollar Hide Doctrine, where we reclaim what it means to be the domestic church. On this episode of the Dollar Hide Doctrine, we're going to dive into the examination of the church's official teaching on the role and function of the family through a brief dive into scripture and then taking a look at a couple of post-Second Vatican Council magisterial documents. Wow. We are, we are going deep tonight. Such an official intro. <laughs> that Look was at good. That. that was pretty good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we apologize for being MIA last week. Uh, as we've been t- discussing, the messiness of life just kind of caught up to us last week. So, But we are back full strength this week, and we're very excited to be with all of you. If you remember, not our last episode, but like three weeks ago now? Mm-hmm. We had a very theological episode where we dived into the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and we presented what it meant to be a domestic church through the lens of the Catechism. So I thought it'd be good to kind of revert back to that original conversation, since that's kind of what our (laughs) podcast was supposed to be about anyway. Yeah, good call. Yeah. But uh, to kind of refresh your mind, I thought maybe we can go back to the Catechism at the end of every chapter of the catechism it offers a a very short summary on each key point in that chapter so in paragraph 1666 of the catechism of the catholic church it says this about the domestic church the christian home is the place where children receive the first proclamation of the faith for this reason the family home is rightly called the domestic church a community of grace and prayer a school of human virtue and of christian charity do you remember talking about that? Vaguely, but I, you know, struggle to remember what I had for breakfast, so <laughs> I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> but that was a nice, succinct uh, verse about, I think, what what we read and discussed. Yeah. Um, but I think last time we were we were in this realm, we we were just kind of like, what does this all mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think that that um, phrases it well that. You know, we are, we are as the domestic church, we are the center of the school of faith for our family and all its members. Oh, man. Yeah. Buckle up, man. You're going to go deep today. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> yeah, I told Ben to uh, prepare a little bit better, and he's got like four pages of notes here, guys. So <laughs> I am. I have been geeking out about this topic for the past couple of days. I'm very excited to share all this information with all of you. But I thought we should start with a biblical examination mm-hmm. of what this, what our conversation is going to be about today. Okay. What it's kind of framed around. First, you know, the we I think we talked about in our first episode that when God created man and woman, um, when when He created man and man was looking around the the Garden of Eden, right, looking for his helpmate, but couldn't find any. Because they were all animals, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And God looked at Adam and said, It is not good for man to be alone. And therefore, he put Adam to sleep, took out the rib, and formed Eve out of the rib of Adam. Which, I just, <laughs> this is a total aside that is not, not relevant to this conversation. But have you ever imagined being Adam and Eve? Or just Adam or just Eve, like... In this scenario, and you were Adam, <laughs> and I'm just picturing God being like, Whoosh! and then you're asleep, and then there's your rib, and then bam, there I am, and you wake up and you're like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think about more like, you know, after that moment, after Adam woke up, he was always like, oh, the flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood, you know, like this beautiful woman that God has given to me, blah, blah, blah. 
lives his life with her, and then when the fall happens, uh, you know, Eve takes a bite of the apple from the, well, the bite of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which may or may not have been an apple. We don't know. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so God comes down, and, and Adam and Eve are hiding, right? Because they are naked. They know that they are naked. And God says, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree that of good of which I have commanded you not to eat? And Adam then turns to his wife and says, <laughs> "That woman you put here with me gave me the fruit of the tree." Ah, oh, yes, good times for yeah. Adam and Eve. Anyway, <laughs> just, yeah, just envisioning you as Adam in that moment. But carry on. <laughs> yeah. I think I would have been a little bit more better tempered, perhaps, than Adam. I don't know. I feel like. There are moments when you are very happy to be like, that woman. That woman you gave, <laughs> you've given me, Lord. Anyway, so in reading a lot of these church documents about family life, about marriage, um, if you've ever read any sort of magisterial documents, they come up with the most obscure scripture citations. Hmm. Right? They're looking for a way to draw everything together, draw it all in. Most of the time it works, but with a lot of these documents, I thought, what? Where did we get this? It's almost like, you know, they, they're talking about, uh, for example, like solidarity and fortitude. And then they're like, they'll put asterisks next to the word and, and they'll say in the Beatitudes, Jesus uses this word and. So we're going to talk <laughs> about social justice uh- and... <laughs> Fortitude. Uh-huh. Yeah, anyway. I, I haven't caught on to that uh, obscurity. But. Yeah. It is very weird. Every now and then, most of the time I should say it works. <laughs> but every now and then you get these really weird citations and I'm like, what? So is that what you discovered in your research? No. Oh, okay, No, good. I found a couple of good <laughs> ones. But in, in looking at the documents in whole, I found some really obscure ones. But... The the documents that we're going to look at today primarily draw their citations from the, the Acts of the Apostles. And I have three prominent uh, quotations that they cite because it draws out this idea that the salvation of the family is looked at as one household, not necessarily as the members individually of the household, mm. but the salvation of the entire household. Ooh. So... The first comes in Acts chapter 11, verse 14. Uh, This is when Peter receives his vision resulting in the lifting of that prohibition of eating uh, only the kosher diet. You know, so we're allowed to eat everything now. Most things. (laughs) And that with great enthusiasm at me. Yes. (laughs) Big eyes, everything. (laughs) So he's recounting this dream and he makes known that an angel had appeared to his hosts that had invited him to this meal that he's at. And this this angel tells the host, send someone to Joppa and summon Simon, who is called Peter, who will then speak words to you by which you and all of your household will be saved. Hmm. Yeah, so saying that through Peter and these words that he will carry on, mm-hmm. and the, the, everybody is saved. Right. And the, the man of the house, the father of the house, the head of the household, receives the word, and then through him, the 
the, the household also is saved. The next comes from Acts chapter thir- 16, sorry, verse 31. And this is when Paul and Silas are in prison. It's actually a really funny story. If you've never <laughs> read this, go to Acts chapter 16. So they are walking around. They're evangelizing this community, Paul and Silas. And there's this woman there that is possessed by a demon or a spirit that has the ability to tell the future. So this woman is a slave girl, and her owners are be, are making money off of her by letting her tell people's fortunes. That's awful. Yeah. <laughs> but when Paul and Silas show up, she follows them around and is like, these two are going to show you the way to everlasting life. These Ooh. are two anointed people. And Paul, the, the what the, the book says is that Paul gets so annoyed with her that he turns around and exercises her and the spirit leaves her. Because <laughs> he didn't want her spreading the good things? Because he got so annoyed with her following him oh around. <laughs> so because of this, the, the slave woman's um, uh, owners, I guess, you, masters, mm-hmm. um, had thrown Paul and Silas into jail. And most people know this part of the story where there's a jailer who's stationed at the jail to watch over the, the cell of Paul and Silas. And they're singing hymns to God. And in the midst of, of that praise, there's an earthquake. And the jail cells of the jail are thrown open. And the jailer wakes up and believes that all the, the prisoners have escaped and tries to kill himself. And then Paul speaks, you know, don't harm yourself. You know, we're all still here. And then the jailer goes up to Paul, kneels down and, and trembling, and goes, what must I do to be saved? And Paul replies, believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your household. Again, that, that phrase, you and your household will be saved. Okay. I'm just curious. I don't know your other verses, but like, the, is it because it's the man of the household that is being told this? Like, is that on purpose? Like, I'm I trying to figure out if it's, you know, going directly to the head of the house or if it's like God came to any member of the household and the household would be saved. I think uh, there's an element probably of both. Um, because we know that the father has a special role to play in modeling the faith for the family. Right. But then, too, we know that the faith can enter the family in other ways. So I think that the openness of one person allows the rest of the family to hear this message of salvation, the good news. Mm-hmm. The last story comes from Acts chapter 18, verse 8. And really, it's kind of a boring story. Paul's been thrown out by the Jews. He's not welcome there. Except Crispus. 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 Okay. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound boring with yes. Crispus around. So, yes, so he is in Corinth, and Crispus, it says, Crispus, the synagogue official, came to believe in the Lord along with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians who heard believed and were baptized. Mm-hmm. So again, there's that same phrase, he and his household. Right. So there's this, this foundation, this apostolic understanding that there is some effect to be had amongst one person inviting in this this life of faith into the family but then that life of salvation that life of grace being shared by all members of the household Mm -hmm. so i think that that gives us a good 
biblical foundation for the um, for the domestic church. Yeah, um, it's interesting to me too because it just says that these words will be spoken to these men, and then the those men and their whole household will be saved. So there's no element yet or shown here of like you have to do something with these words like you have to believe them you have to share them you have to teach them it's just like you've heard the word and now you're all saved so i'm not saying that that's not a piece of it but it's like it sounds to me more like them receiving the word is like receiving in their hearts this full belief in God, right, and in Jesus. Right, it's an authentic conversion. Right, it's not just like, I'm telling you about God, so bam, like, yeah. you're, you're in. Yeah. Well, I, I tell people it's like this, you know, when you love a woman, like, say, for us, I'll take us as an example. When I fell in love with you, I didn't just sit there, never talk to you, and, like, never look at you, and I'm like, I love her. That's all, right? That's all I needed to do. And one day we would get married, never have to do anything, you know, and we will somehow miraculously have kids, mm-hmm. even though we've <laughs> never done anything. I have never done anything. That's not what love is. When you come into contact with love, love requires an action. It requires a response. Love, in this case, especially in the case of a conversion, the message of the good news, requires in oneself a reorientation, a conversion of heart, which then organically changes one's own life. So that's why there's this whole confusion about, and this is a whole, a whole soapbox conversation maybe for another time, but this, this division between the Protestants' belief of uh, not only Scripture alone, but, but we are saved only through faith, only by faith. Mm-hmm. And there's this misunderstanding that Catholics believe, that, from Protestants, that Catholics believe that we're saved by works. That's not what we believe. We believe that it's a joint venture. Right. That that by faith, once we accept the faith, if it's an authentic accept, acceptance of the faith, that then requires a response, a changing in our daily life, a complete reorientation of how we live right. as Otherwise authentic. It's not a true faith. Right, yeah. as authentic Christians. Yeah. So I think that that's, yeah, what I was getting at was like, obviously... When they say that the word was spoken and their whole household was saved, this is all implied that like there was an inner conversion and then there was action because somehow these men also had to pass that on to their family. It wasn't like, hey guys, we're believing Jesus now. Like, like you know, they were human too. So imagine doing that in your family <laughs> and in your household and being like, yeah, we're going to believe in Jesus and you're going to wholeheartedly convert and believe because I say so. Like, that just would not fly, you know. It mm-hmm. had to be a heartfelt uh, scenario. Right. Now, just like we do in most modern theology classes, let's fast forward 14, no, 1,900 years <laughs> to after the Second Vatican Council. All right. So let's fast forward to the time. It's 1968, and St. Paul VI is dealing primarily with this question of contraception and its role in, in modern society, right? Because at this time, the pill had become very prominent, and so the church had to wrestle and give give it a definitive answer one way or the other on the use of contraception, artificial contraception within the marital union. And so he released this document called Humanae Vitae, 
most people connect humanae vitae only with the role of contraception within the modern world. However, obviously because he's talking about marital love, he's going to say some really beautiful things about marriage and about family. So in Humanae Vitae, the eighth article of Humanae Vitae, he says this, Married love particularly reveals its true nature and nobility when we realize that it takes its origin from God, who is love, the father from every family in heaven and on earth is named. As a consequence, husband and wife, through that mutual gift of themselves, which is specific and exclusive to them alone, develop that union of two persons in which they perfect one another, cooperating with God in the generation and rearing of new lives. So we often hear that, you know, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church, you know, etc., etc. Beautiful teachings. But this statement draws these themes out even further by saying that this love between spouses is modeled after the love of God, not only that God has for us, but the love that is shared between the Trinitarian Godhead, so between Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm. So that that creating, that redemptive and self-sacrificing love is embodied by the love that husband has for his wife, but then the love that the two parents have for the children. Right. So I'm assuming that you brought this in and fast-forwarded to this because a huge part of being the domestic church is openness to life. Right. And your willingness as a family to grow God's kingdom right. in so, that way. Yeah. So then in participating with that creative love uh, of, of the Godhead, right, the husband and the wife are called to cooperate with God's divine will in the generation of new life. Then that formation of those new souls in the faith of the of that ultimate creator, where the, then the parents share in the redemptive love of God by fostering the foundation for them to accept the free gift of grace. A lot of theological talk right there. Oh, wait, what did you just say? The, so the, the creating grace. love mm-hmm. that the husband and when wife share is where that new life comes into play, mm-hmm. right? Because God creates, he self-sacrifices, and he redeems. And the grace comes in. Is freely offered from God. So by providing that foundation of faith, allowing, building up of that receptive mentality on the part of the kids that have been born out of that creative love, mm-hmm they then are able to turn and receive that free gift of grace. Okay. So there's the creative element, that creative love through the generation of new life. There's the redemptive uh, gift of grace through providing for the faith life of the children so that they can respond freely to that gift of grace. But then thirdly, through the self-sacrificing love of the parents, be able to to fulfill this life together, this communal life with one another. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah, there's, still, there's a lot in there. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I mean, that's beautiful. And I think this is a piece of the domestic church that is still pretty culturally controversial. 
um, we don't name this as part of the domestic church, but you know this this ability to be open as a couple and bring forth life that God intends for you to bring forth um, is a huge. I don't know because of like Roe v. Wade and because of contraception and now because of things like IFV um, and obviously IVF. sorry IVF IFV I am so sorry. <laughs> It's late for me, um, <laughs> but I think, you know, obviously this is a tough topic to cover, mm-hmm. even with regards to the domestic church, because it's such a sensitive thing when, you know, not everybody is capable um, without assistance to bring life into the world, and not everybody feels um, open to bring life into the world despite, um, you know, taking part in the acts that will bring life so we want to be sensitive to that and you know we know that this isn't these are not black and white issues but that this is what we mean by god's creation of the domestic church right that this is what we're called to do right so there's two different ends to marriage there's the natural end of marriage which is the creation of new life and the rearing of children in the faith then there's the supernatural end of marriage, which is the helpmate relationship between spouses t- toward sanctity. So traditionally, prior to the expansion of this thought at the Second Vatican Council, not the, not the reinvention or the invention of this other thought, but the expansion of the meditation upon this topic at the Second Vatican Council. So prior to that, the church seemed to only focus on this aspect of the procreation and bringing up of children in the faith. Mm. Whereas, Interesting. yeah, whereas now there's a, I believe, an overemphasis on the helpmate relationship between husband and spouse, so much so, and we're getting back to a good medium between the two, but so much so that we've kind of lost sight of that procreative um, relationship mm. between husband and wife. So that's why, for example, like we talked about our focus. Uh, couple shadowing um, when we were getting ready for marriage that only the the majority of those discussions revolve around how the two of us align right it does not equip us to rear and bring up children in the faith right I mean there's an assumption and a hope that the better we align the better able we will be to bring up children because we're a better team. Right. Right. But, um, yeah, I think I would love to do a future episode more on our personal views and experience of, you know, uh, planning for a family and what, what that journey has been for us. Um, but I think right now in the, in the moments, moment we're in, uh, we're very much open to life as we're, pregnant with our third baby that will be three under three by Christmas. Um, <laughs> and that's not to say that we don't have many trepidations about it, but we also, you know, trust um, in God's plan for us and hopefully are taking right action according to where he's leading us. Um, but yeah, that's a big, big part of the domestic church is to grow the church. And, you know, that's half the reason that people get married (laughs) and why we're supposed to have this marriage partnership Mm -hmm. yeah and smooth transition 
Next document. Okay. All right. Let's go. That was the smoothest transition I've ever made. So <laughs> the next document uh, comes a couple years earlier, actually. It's generated out of the Second Vatican Council. It's called Gaudium et Spaz. This document is called, in English, The Pastoral Constitution on the Church in the Modern World. This really dives into kind of what the meat and potatoes uh, role the church is going to take, at least what the council's view is the, of what the church role, what role the church is going to take in the modern world. So, be, but because that we know that the foundation of this relationship is spousal love, like we've already seen, obviously this document is going to be talking about how families are called to live out these particular vocations. So, in Gaudium et Spes, Article Forty-Eight, it says this. By their very nature, the institution of matrimony itself and conjugal love are ordained for the procreation and education of children and find in them their ultimate crown. Spouses render mutual help and service to each other. Through this union, they exercise the meaning of their openness and attain to it with growing perfection day by day. Mm. Wow, that was pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so basically, you know, we have kids to perfect our own marriage and to come to our faith as best we can, which to me, you know, is a good example of, you know, we're walking towards holiness is the goal and, you know, trying to drive each other towards holiness. And having children is a very humbling way to <laughs> right. to get there because, you know, you have to be a team to do this well and to do it right and you have to practice virtue and humility and patience and putting the babies and your spouse first all the time and yeah i mean i can't think of a more direct way <laughs> to be forced to practice virtue <laughs> right well i mean just like we were talking about so there's that nod right to the traditional understanding that traditional natural end of marriage the procreation of of children but then there's this expansion upon that thought of the the mutual help of the spouses mm -hmm. to attain salvation or to grow in holiness right right so it, it continues authentic married love is caught up into the divine love and is governed and enriched by christ's redeeming power in the saving activity of the church so that this love may lead the spouses to god with powerful effect and may aid and strengthen them in sublime office of being a father and mother for this reason Christian spouses have a special sacrament by which they are fortified and receive a kind of consecration in the duties and the dignity of their state. By virtue of this sacrament, as spouses fulfill their conjugal and family obligation, they are penetrated with the Spirit of Christ, which suff suffices their whole lives with faith, hope, and charity. Thus, they increasingly advance the perfection of their own personalities, as well as their mutual sanctification, and hence contribute jointly to the glory of God. So basically everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's also hard to hear that because I, I just witness so much brokenness in marriages. And like this is such a beautiful witness and call to what it's meant to be. And like this is supposed to be um, a call to rise up and to rise above what you had been before, like the day before or the year before or whatever you were before you were married, like rise up every day and carry this cross and do better. 
and I just think about all the, you know, we, I mean, our culture is more than half divorced, right? And like, just to think about all the broken, hurting couples that some didn't get the memo, some got the memo, but it wasn't mutually um, cared for and it wasn't mutually um, pursued. And I just, like, how do we mend that? If that's, if our goal is to reclaim the domestic church and to grow that kind of marital relationship in the world, like, how can we help and accompany others and ourselves to pursue that? Because I think there are plenty of moments where we can pinpoint, like, where we falter during the day. Um when I don't put you first or where I let my emotions get the best of me in a moment that, you know, I was just overwhelmed or, but like, it's those little moments, I think day to day where like having kids now, especially, um, it's so much harder (laughs) to, to put ourselves, to put each other first and to take care of each other, but also to call each other to be better and to be more um, with humility and love. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, that it, uh, it starts with an authentic call to conversion and a recognition of our universal vocation to holiness. That, yes, these days are hard. Yes, we're, we're in a world filled with strife brokenness and all that but we have to be able to find these families that are willing to walk alongside one another to grow in that holiness to grow in virtue so that we can transform the culture Mm. to say yes there's this false understanding of what marriage is but there's this other understanding that will ultimately bring us true happiness so are we looking for a self-fulfilling relationship that it's only what i get out of it what you get out of it or is it a relationship in which we truly seek the ultimate good of the other which is heaven and which often doesn't include our selfish desires (laughs) right so am i coming into a relationship thinking this is so great you know this is uh, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> yes, no, I, it was. It is great, but I mean, you know, I'm not looking for you know. I'm not excited for you because you're a good cook, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not um, excited about you because you're good with plants. I love those things about you, mm-hmm. but ultimately, I chose you because I think that you have a way of calling out that perfection and holding me to that standard and actually desiring that ultimate good for me. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, and I hope I do that for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would agree. Like I, I get, and I think we came into our marriage kind of with a vague understanding that, you know, maybe we don't understand how to live as a domestic church, but we know that that's what we're called to do. And so I don't think we would have gotten married <laughs> if we didn't think that, you know, we were going to pursue heaven together and push each other to that. Right. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things. I 
these are such big chunks of mm-hmm. large words and it's you know nighttime <laughs> yeah. but it continues right so as a <laughs> smooth transition yeah, okay here we go <laughs> as a result with their parents leading the way by example in family prayer children and indeed everyone gathered around the family hearth will find a readier path to human maturity salvation and holiness graced with the dignity and office of fatherhood and motherhood parents will energetically acquit themselves of a duty which devolves primarily on them, namely education and especially religious education. Hmm. They included education in there too, just like in general. Shout out to the homeschoolers. (laughs) My favorite part about this is when they say that gathering around the family hearth. 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 <laughs> okay, people, we need your help. Is it hearth or hearth? Anyway, <laughs> we don't have one of those. We have a TV that we can put a fireplace on. What? It's a hearth. Under a TV. Oh. Because we oh, don't have a fireplace. Oh. I thought you meant you can put set a the fireplace on, fire? on top of the TV. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I told you, it's getting late. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Smooth transition. No, okay, wait. Let's look at that again. Um. <laughs> so the, but it gets back to kind of what we were just talking about. So the, that renewal of each spouse through a call to virtue and holiness, but then also to be an example and and walk alongside other family members and other community members, to call them also to authentic conversion and to walk with them on their path to holiness and growth and virtue. Right. So, in a way, this includes the greater community Mm -hmm. in in this call excuse me both as a couple we need the community to uh push us and to keep us accountable and lead us but we also do the same for others so it is this is just keeps driving home that like it's all on us like i mean it's not because of the we need the community we need god we can't do this alone but like in our home, mm-hmm. we are the ones who have to gather around the proverbial hearth and get our children to this place of understanding and maturing towards this end goal, right? Like, that's on us. And not just on us, like, telling them what to do or teaching them, but, like, living it. We have to live as examples. And that's the scariest thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we know how, how human we are and... and uh, how weak at times. Yeah. Well, that it, it speaks to what, what the document says next, that parents should regard as their proper mission the task of transmitting human life and educating those to whom it has been transmitted. So to be open to life, to welcome children, to grow that, that family, and then to pass on the faith through, through that life of family prayer and then education and faith education, right? right? So growing this community around which there's almost a liturgy of daily life where mm. there's education happening, there's family quality time amongst everybody. Everybody's fulfilling their, their natural purpose, their roles within the, within the relationship. But then to be able to come together in prayer and offer all these things 
joyfully in celebration, but then to also bear the, the trials of life patiently. Whew. Yeah. How do we do that? I don't know. <laughs> we don't really have a, a liturgy of family life yet, I don't think. No. I think we have a, a, a haphazard pattern that we follow. <laughs> And try to keep up with, but I wouldn't that call it That is color coded on our fridge. Okay, that is a a goal to fo- a goal schedule, but it is definitely not where we re- we are at. Um, but yeah, I like that term a lot. Um, liturgy of home life. Uh, I'm curious to see. I haven't haven't researched that a lot, but to see like if if there are such things out there that. I don't know, examples of how to live that practically in your home. Mm -hmm. So going on in Article 52, it says, The family is a kind of school of deeper humanity, but if it is to achieve the full flowering of its life and mission, it needs the kindly communion of minds and the joint deliberation of spouses, as well as the painstaking cooperation of parents in the education of their children. The active presence of the father is highly beneficial to their formation. The children, especially the younger among them, need the care of their mother at home. The domestic role of hers must be safely preserved, though the legitimate social progress of women should not be underrated on that account. Children should be so educated that as adults they can follow their vocation, including a a religious one, with mature sense of responsibility and can choose their state of life. If they marry, they can thereby establish their own family in favor in favorable morale, social, sorry, favorable moral, <laughs> Thank <you>. morale, <laughs> favorable moral, social, and economic conditions. Wow. So that like truly breaks down the role of everybody in the household. Mm-hmm. So the father is provider and role model, head role model for everybody in the family. The mother for the, the nurturing of the family within the home, but then the children show by their parents' firm foundation in faith and morals an openness to receive whatever vocation that God is calling them to. Which, like, if I'm looking back on my childhood, I don't feel that confidence mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of uh, vocational discernment. Um, and it often... I felt like the black sheep as far as like faith life went and oh we just talked to my family um in our bible study on this book uh by edward tree on virtue and we discovered that i was probably a prude growing up when talking about prudence and things that <laughs> i was the prude uh and made fun of and at home for that um so anyway it's i don't feel like we have a good example of how to live that, you know. And I think at least my parents would concur because they're in a different place now to, like, look at it differently. But um, I think all of it, like, the the roles of the mother and the father being very traditional as written here compared to what society deems is acceptable now. Um and the confidence you instill in your children not to just do whatever they want which I think we also grew up on like you need to find something that will make you money and help you sustain your life right but like there's so many options out there that you just have to like figure out which one you're most passionate about 
and that's kind of the direction that we get that doesn't lead us very far um, even into college you know switching majors and most people don't have a job that pertains to the degree they received um, so I think that's all like misdirectioned right now um, but then to the mention of the importance of the father's role um, as a catechist I can't remember the um, statistic now but I, I know that it was something like 73% of Catholic adolescents who mature to adulthood will f- leave the faith or follow, sorry, not leave the faith. They will follow the practice of the father's faith, whatever that was. And no matter how involved the mother was in the faith life, if she was the like churchgoer and brought the kids every week, did Sunday school, all the things, it didn't matter if the dad wasn't involved. Um, so I think that headship is key as well. But then again, like this other can of worms of culturally, this misnomer that the father as headship is like domineering or is a dictatorship in the relationship and in the family life. And that is not the case. That's not what we're saying here. Quite right. So even the church says like that cooperative deliberation amongst the spouses, Mm -hmm. right? So that, that co-working together as the spouses. Right. So it's not, not so much a power, but like a response, divvying up of the responsibilities of the domestic church. Right. But I think that that Gaudium et Spes probably provides for us, maybe unintentionally, a good working definition of what this domestic church means. So it's the mutual love of the spouses, which as we heard in, um, I think it was Humanae Vitae, that is the the embodiment of the love of the Trinitarian Godhead. But then going back to Gaudium et Spes, passing on of the faith and the education of the children, the family practice of growth and virtue, and then naturally flowing from that is a shared life of prayer, and that shared life then celebrates the joys of life and bears the trials of life patiently. So that's like the dream vision, right? Right. (laughs) So I don't know about anybody else listening, but it doesn't feel like we're quite on that playing field yet like like i don't know that i know there's grace flowing but i don't think like we've naturally found an inclination of prayer together or as a family like that's very forced still um and awkward um so like for us and likely many others how do we even get to just this foundational point of what the domestic church is called to be in order to grow deeper yeah, I don't know. And I think that that's going to look different for each family, right? Mm-hmm. So there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution for, for these problems. But it's going to be something that the spouses have to discern together. How do they how do they live this practice of growth and virtue, this, this bearing trials patiently together within mm-hmm. their own household? And it's going to look different for everybody because everybody has a different temperament. Just like when you're at work, you have to manage different employees differently. You can't have one blanket, blanket management style, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody maybe needs to be encouraged a little more. Somebody needs to be perhaps even put in their place, you know? So it doesn't, there's not one, a one-size-fits-all solution to this problem, but it's something that has to be discerned within the family itself. Right, and it, 
it has to start with the spouses. Um, so I don't know. In in my view of this, to get to that foundational point, um, at that jumping point, like you have to have, I don't know, full mutual respect and communication over everything. You know, there's no secrets. There's you know. You, all you are and have is mine and all I am and have is yours and that has to be lived every day right and I think just in in so many instances and again like online I'm in a, a several different what are supposed to be just like moms groups or stay at home moms groups or catholic tra- women with traditional values like there's so many instances of um just really painful discussions of situations between spouses going on and well one I don't think we should be discussing them in public online but two there's just such a lack of mutual respect and uh, mercy and humility and patience with one another as spouses that I think like that's the foundation like you guys have to be good or at least walking together towards good if you're going to bring your family to where God wants you to be, you know? Yeah. And I think, so I want to bring in one more document before we, before we conclude today. So this last document is called Lumen Gentium. The reason I want to bring this in, this is also a document that, that was written by, or I shouldn't say written by, but it was brought to, um, it was compiled by the second Vatican council, but then this was promulgated by St. Paul the sixth as well. Well, it's like a Paul the sixth episode. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so this is 1964 Lumen Gentium. It's called the D- Dogmatic Constitution on the Church. Uh, the reason I bring this into play is because this provides a, a, an interesting perspective. Because so far we've only looked at the family inwardly. This turns the vocation of marriage to an outward lens, looking outward to see how the, the marriage has an effect on society. And In Article 35 it says this, in connection with the prophetic function in the state of life which is sanctified by a special sacrament obviously of great importance namely married and family life one will find there both the practice and an excellent school of the lay apostolate in such a home husbands and wives find their proper vocation in being witnesses of the faith and the love that christ has to one another and to their children the Christian family loudly proclaims both present virtues of the kingdom of God and the hope of the blessed life to come. Thus, by its example and its witness, it accuses the world of sin and enlightens those who seek the truth. Hmm. <sighs> it just feels like so much pressure. <laughs> but it's very, like, like so beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know who i just can't think of a more pure or perfect vision of what our family life could be than what's been described Mm -hmm. you know but then i want to draw back i want to go back quickly to humanity vitae and i think that this is a good stopping point because this is our exact mission with this podcast this does a good job of summarizing why we felt the need to speak out on these issues to offer accompaniment to families that find themselves in the same boat that we're in. This comes from Article 26 of Humanae Vitae, and it says this, Among the fruits that ripen in the law of God, be resolutely obeyed, 
oh, sorry, among the fruits that ripen, if the law of God be respectfully, resolutely obeyed, the most precious is the certain is certainly this, that married couples themselves will often desire to communicate their own experience to others. Thus it comes about that in the fullness of the lay vocation will be included a novel and outstanding form of the apostolate, by which, like ministering to like, married couples themselves, by the leadership they offer, will become apostles to other married couples. And surely among all forms of the Christian apostolate, it is hard to think of one more opportune for the present time. Wow. Boom. <laughs> that, that is, is exactly why yeah, we started this. That is pretty cool. Yeah, Drawing off of that, what I read from Lumen Gentium, but then this paragraph from Humanae Vitae, we feel this call to, one, draw with it up within our own family this authentic life of the domestic church, but then to show you all and walk with all of you as you form the same within your own families. And then to be help reignite this passion, this, this wit, Christian witness for what the lay state is supposed to be. This, this lay married vocation mm-hmm. has the potential to be so beautiful and it's been so neglected over these past 50 years that now is the most opportune time, as Paul VI says, for this beautiful Christian apostolate really to take form. Right, and not only for our own families, but like we said, for for the world at large, because the more people there are that are holy and per- pursuing virtue, you know, that eventually finds its way out into the world. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that was a vision that I said maybe in the first episode, that really, just really wanting these next generations to be generations of canonized married couples and families and the way to do that is to you know rediscover our call to the domestic church um and our call to holiness through this vocation Mm -hmm. and again you know we feel not that we are equipped to i don't know lead anyone anywhere because we're not really sure how to get there ourselves but we just felt like everyone we know that is doing a good job at this is five or six or eight steps ahead of us and it just seems like such a huge leap that there's there's not too many voices explaining to us from the trenches that we're in right now how to get to the next one step mm-hmm. so we're hoping that that's that's what this can be. Right, and I think that what we had discussed, what our mission was, was that we we see this perfect idea of what the church presents to us as married individuals, but as a family. But then realizing that there's such a misconception all around us of of what that's supposed to be. So sharing this this viewpoint with families, but then saying you know what, we're not there yet either. Come walk alongside us as we try to figure out how we get to this perfect ideal image of what family life is. Right. Yeah. So I think there would be a great place to leave you all for a week of reflection on all this theological uh, dimension that we've opened up (laughs) for all of you. That was a lot. Yes. (laughs) So... I mean, talk about these things with your spouse. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to listen to this and think, oh, these, this is, these are really great things. 
If you are engaged, preparing for marriage, bring this up to your fiance. If you're married, talk about this with your spouse. Say, hey, you should listen to this podcast. What, what do you think of this? Is this the view that we have of marriage? Right. Or seek out other Catholic married couples in podcast form or do some heavy Catholic reading <laughs> from some of these documents because mm-hmm. it is it is very rich and beautiful and really you know until i started reading those things in college i had no idea like what really we believed as catholics like i knew but i didn't know because this just opens up the ocean of of depth and love and beauty that is our vocation um so yeah i definitely encourage you to if you can branch out and do some reading and some reflecting even on the scripture um, passages that we shared. We'll have to do maybe some show notes with all of these linked on there. Yeah. But. yeah. Well, I, I know that I said last episode, but I was at the store today and I did see a couple of Halloween decorations oh, already out. Oh my goodness. But I want to jump on that bag <laughs> bandwagon like I said last episode. Well, wait, wait, wait. Instead of plugging fall, which, you know, I am a, an advocate of living in the season that we're in because they all go too fast. So instead of plugging fall, which I know you're very anxious to get to Christmas, um, (laughs) I just wanted to offer that I am happy to take suggestions for t-shirt designs on my shop and custom designs for something that you're looking for but don't see anywhere. Um, I would be so happy to do that for you. Um, Yeah, I would love to. So please just go check out my shop at diaryofadollarhide.com. And All Saints Day is right around the corner, oh, folks. My so. <laughs> so. Yeah, Ben Ben like counts down from the day after Christmas until the next Christmas. So and he loves fall too, but Christmas is is up there. Anyway, thanks for joining us this week <laughs> for this episode of the Dollar High Doctrine where we recreate we Oh my goodness. <laughs> where we are reclaiming what it means to be the domestic church. There we go. <laughs> thanks for joining us we'll see you next week 